what I say to women is there's this flood of you, your life, your energy that started out when you were a girl that just was like a roaring river. And then bit by bit in your life, it's like beavers that came and they don't put big logs. They put sticks and twigs and mud and stuff <laughs> and it builds a dam until there's a trickle of water. And you know that your power has been stopped. It's been held back. It's That's what culture your, does to us. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Finding your power, first of all, it's within you. It is being able to hold your position in space. It's being like a tree that is so deeply rooted that you have the flexibility to move, but you cannot be moved from who you are. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Powering Up a cross-generational conversation about power and leadership through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle, your host and author of Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. And I'm Monica Doyle. Uh, I am the millennial voice of Powering Up. Um, Our guest today is a Canadian filmmaker, keynote speaker, leadership guide, and author of Living on Purpose, Nancy Trites Botkin. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, Nancy is what I call a woman's woman, and by that I mean she is all about real sisterhood, not the phony stuff. In other words, she understands one of my mantras, which is, every woman for herself is a losing strategy. And we have something else in common, right, Nancy? We're both redheads. Both redheads. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're thrilled to have you joining us from Montreal, and I want to tell our audience just a little bit more about you before we get into talking about your work, because you've had a fantastic career as a film and television writer, a director and producer. You've won more than 60 national and international awards. You're co-founder of Think8 Systems, an international business design firm in Montreal, and But throughout it all, uh, and really what brought us together, is this unwavering commitment that you have to helping women find and live into their own purpose. That's the name of your book, and I know it's your passion and the primary focus of your work these days. So what brought you to that work of, um, you know, helping this next generation of women find their own unique power, and why are you so passionate about it? What brought me to it was realizing, I, I thought that we'd made such headway as women um, in the film and television industry that I was in. It didn't feel like there was too much discrimination. It felt like we'd fought really good battles. Mm-hmm. And as I started working with younger women, I realized the same issues were there. And they hadn't, they hadn't been resolved. They weren't being addressed. This was you know, a number of years before me too, and the women were facing the same things, and they still didn't quite understand it. I I think your book made the most sense for me when I understood sort of the waves of how we as women have moved forward, and each one said, oh, I don't need the last wave, or oh, I can move it forward, and it helped me understand that I thought there had just been this march, and when I realized that women hadn't moved forward, and and were very lost in terms of knowing that they specifically have something to bring to the world in their voice, in their way. 
it just, for me, it was a natural fit with everything I've learned and everything I know and my passion for women. When you say they're very lost, um, that was kind of what you were discovering when you got into the kind of very hands-on individual work and group work you're doing now. But um, do you feel the winds changing a bit in terms of where we are at this moment right now? Oh, absolutely. I, I think in the last couple of years, things have changed dramatically. In terms of, of, of women standing up, holding their position in space, knowing who they are and speaking it out loud, that's changing radically, absolutely radically. Um, certainly what's happened in the last couple of years in Canada alone, the calls to, for instance, the rape center have increased 556%. Wow. <laughs> just, just that one little piece of understanding how women are standing up and saying, no, not in my backyard, or no, not in my body, or no, not for me. So, yes, there's been a huge, huge change. When I say women are lost, the women that I work with, they've generally checked all the boxes. They, they've, they've got the career, they've got the family, they've, they've known sort of where they're going, but it's like they know there's more, and mm-hmm. it's that more that I work with. It's the women who know that that what they have specifically in their heart is so huge and it's much bigger than they've lived and they don't know how to access that. So that's really the work I do. Over, overall, and, and I think you're seeing this in the States as well as here in Canada, women are just saying, it's my time, it's our time, and they're living that. So what do you think it is? So we talk about um, different generations a lot here. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering what it is you think in particular is changing more lately than it was in the past that is showing us more action, more movement on the women's front. I think it's a couple of things. I, I think that women are recognizing that how we operate and think and move and and deal as women is different than men. For a long, long time, certainly in my generation and Anne's generation, when we entered the workforce, it was, we were told, you think like a man, and that was a compliment. <laughs> I think there's been, you know, I know, right. there's been a huge shift as we as women and your generation, Monica, understand and own that we think like a woman that we act like a, a woman. When I talk to leaders and deal with leadership and women, the difference for a woman leading is that she sets the vision. Um, she knows everybody in her team, what they need, where they need to go, what they need to get there, and then she goes behind and gets them all over the line. So her team's not only like her, they love her. It's, it's a very woman form of leadership um, as opposed to the traditional male leadership. I think that you, the millennials, understand this innately. I think there's a, there's a way in which the collaboration, cooperation model for you is innate. Um, you didn't have to sort of look at it and say, ooh, how do I fit into this? It's like, no, this is who I am, this is where we are. So I think you're moving forward much more rapidly and just saying, no, I think like a woman. This is how I see it. This is, 
the perspective I bring to it, and you're moving forward in a much more fearless way. Do you have a sense of, of that, Monica? You know, one of the things Nancy and I experienced was not having any role models. You know, I mean, there weren't any. I mean, when I moved into broadcasting, I had never heard a woman's voice do the news. And when you look at the incredible number of role models that there are, fabulous role models, we hope it's easier mm-hmm. to imagine you doing things, not mm-hmm. how do I do this even though I'm not a man, mm-hmm. but to do it as a woman. Does that well, resonate with you? I I guess I never saw it in terms of role models before. I guess I saw it as a difference in the way that women in general behave in public nowadays because I feel like for a long time, even when I was a kid, you know, women were expected to behave a certain way and women were taught and raised to behave a certain way. Mm-hmm. And um, with things like the Me Too movement, you know, I remember being a kid and hearing all of these people say like, oh, well, this guy has been harassing me at work. And the response to that is, well, that's just what you deal with. And <laughs> so I think, you know, suddenly we started raising this generation of women who are like, wait, why? Why is that just what we have to deal with? And, you know, things started to get shaken up and other like younger girls see these women standing up and saying like, I've been told to take this for a very long time and I'm done with it. <laughs> and I love that outrage. Yeah. And, and it really it really is role models mm-hmm. now that I think about it. But I always just kind of saw it as um, womaninity kind in general, you know, stepping up and asking the question, why are we treated differently? What is it about us that makes us different? And realizing that the answer was nothing. (laughs) Well, there is a lot that makes us different, right? But to embrace that. Yes. Instead of it being seen as a weakness that we had to overcome, it's a strength to leverage. We took ourselves out of a category that we had been put in by society for a long time. Mm -hmm. When you hear that, what do you think, Nancy? I totally agree with you. I There's that whole understanding or misunderstanding, I think, as women, that we've been told we don't have confidence. If you're told over and over that you shouldn't wear blue, then and everyone says, oh, you're wearing blue again. It doesn't really look very good on you. You shouldn't wear blue. (laughs) Then when you go to your wardrobe and and look at a blue suit, you think, well, maybe I won't wear the blue shirt or the blue sweater Mm. or whatever because I guess I don't look very good. When Mm. we're told over and over we don't have confidence, we start to believe it as opposed to understanding, for instance, mm. that how we express and show and live confidence is very different than a man. Mm. So, so we, we don't, you know, as, as one of the articles that I read that was last year in Forbes said, for women, it was, it was why women lack confidence and how to, to gain it. Walk briskly as if you have somewhere important to go. And every time I face <laughs> Was this written by a man, this article, by <laughs> yeah. any chance? As yeah. soon as you said the title, I just <laughs> rolled my eyes. Why women don't have confidence. Oh, please, sir, tell me. Tell me why I don't yes, have please, confidence. Please, help me. <laughs> and it's like, are you serious? We walk from A to B to get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> why did the chicken like, cross the road? And it's like, you know, stand up straight and tall. It's like, if you have breasts, Chances are great when you're confident, you fold your arms across your front. Why? Because if you work in a predominantly male group, you don't want to draw attention to that. I mean, we have various ways in which we show our confidence. 
that's very different from men. And it's misinterpreted as lack of confidence. So if we go into a bank and we're studying company, I've seen this so many times with women that I've worked with, um, they have plan A, B, and C, and they'll say to the, the, the lender, okay, plan A, it's going to take more money, but this is, this is how fast we can get there and this is the fallout. Plan B will take less money, it'll take more time. Here's the upside, here's the downside. Plan C will take the least amount of money, the longest amount of time, here's upside, downside. And the banker says, well, you don't seem to be sure about your, your plans. And it's like, no, 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 I'm very sure about them. I'm offering you three plans because I can see all sides of it. It's how we think. It's the difference between a man goes into a store to buy, he's going to speak at a conference. I need black slacks. He goes in, he finds his size, he buys them. A woman says, I've got to speak at a conference. She goes in and says, I think I need a black dress. And then she says, oh, wait a minute, though, this pink, okay, it looks really hot. I think I'll buy the pink. We go in to discover what is, and we have all the pieces of it. We think very differently. We act very differently. And I think understanding this, and understanding as well that when we say I think versus I feel, they can be very different things at the same time on the same subject that what I think and what I feel may be two different and disparate things and they're both equally okay. Wow. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you work with individual women. I mean, I was up and spent some time with you uh, in Canada and watched some of your group work, but I also know you do these very intensive one-on-one weekends with women. Will you tell us about that? Oh, I'd love to. Um, The women that come to me are not women who are trying to find out who they are, per se. They've generally lived fully in their life, but they know there's more. And so the work that I do is generally the first bit is what I say to women is there's this flood of you, your life, your energy that started out when you were a girl that just was like a roaring river. And then bit by bit in your life, it's like beavers that came and they don't put big logs, they put sticks and twigs and mud and stuff (laughs) and it builds a dam until there's a trickle of water and you know that your power has been stopped, it's been held back. That's what culture does to us, is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. And for many reasons. And so the first part is to really take apart that beaver dam and to say, do you want this log? Is this yours? And by and large, it's not theirs. They've been carrying, the the dam is not even their building. Once we can take that apart and the flood starts flowing, then we go back to say, what is, why are you here on earth? What is your purpose? What What is it that you bring specifically? And purpose is like, it's such an interesting thing because we've crossed over it many times. It's in our life when we know we are absolutely awake, when we know that we are so on fire that everything we know and are is in use, is, is awake, is alert, is, is operating at the same time, then we, we align that to eight steps, which is your purpose, your message, who you are. And part of the biggest thing is understanding that when you know who you are, when you know specifically what that gift is, 
it almost doesn't matter what you do because what you do will be infused with who you are and why you do it. And so that's that alignment that I bring. I just finished working with a woman this last week and she was like, oh my goodness, I, I just feel these weights lifted because I can see my life ahead of me. I see the road. So my new analogy is it's sort of like I'm ways that you have to know where you are uh, and you also have to know your destination and that's really purpose. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And then you have to be willing to follow the, the green dot because it's not A to B. It's you pick up stuff as you go and you keep moving, bringing to life what you were meant to bring in your voice. So that's the work I do is truly finding purpose and aligning it to a woman's life. But picking apart that, what you describe as a beaver dam of Mm -hmm. um, cultural sticks and mud and the stuff that women uh, get faced with and and hit with and poured on us along the way, it can be painful, can't it? Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, oh, yes. Absolutely. I mean, is it safety? I mean, that little dam becomes our safety after a while. I mean... Well, it's not even conscious. I mean, it's it's so buried. Um, the wonderful thing is is that you can you can understand you can look at it, and I have many ways of sort of unpacking that so that it's like you're looking at what was said, um, which gives you a clue in terms of there's repeated patterns and and those weights. It's kind of like if you think about a cork bobbing on the water. A weight comes, and generally this comes very early in our life. It's like, well, who do you think you are? Or why do you think you can do that? Or, you know, just be quiet or be nice. Um, <laughs> be nice, bo- be quiet. You, know, oh, be you nice. can't do such that. such a big one. That's for boys. And it, oh, and it just waits and waits and waits. And pretty soon this cork sinks to the bottom. It's got so much weight on it. And I mean, it can like, pop you, up. It can only keep yes, popping up so long. Is so that what you're saying? Times. That it gets waterlogged? Exactly. And it's like so much. After a while, and that's why I don't really work with women until they're generally in their 40s, 50s. I mean, some come earlier because they're just like, I have to do this work. I have to figure this out. But it's like taking off those weights, you can just see the the woman rise because each of those connects to another one, and and pretty soon she believes that those words are true, mm-hmm. that that's a, a true reflection of her, mm-hmm. and that that's who she is, that she is that small. Mm-hmm. When you understand the intention behind those words, mm-hmm. um, what you feel is a direct connection to the intention. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you feel small and worthless, guess what? The person saying those needed to keep you smaller so they could be bigger. Whether that was a family member, a teacher, a professor, uh, a boss, whatever, unexamined, those weigh us down and we believe that that is our, that's who we are, that's our story. Mm-hmm. Well, what What would you recommend to women who aren't in Canada or maybe don't have the financial resources, you know, to do this incredible work with you, Nancy? Um, I would I would invite you to write out all the words, write four statements 
first statement is, you think you are so. Second hmm. statement. You um, think you are so. Okay. You think you are so, dot, dot, dot. Okay. And write all the things that come to you when you, when you hear those words. Is this, do you mean negative or it could be both? Negative. Not, not, not. Uh-huh. Oh, you if think you're so. Uh-huh. This is the negative stuff. You think stuff. you're so hot. You uh-huh. think you're so, just the negative. We're looking at just the negative. We're looking at the beaver dam. Okay. Um, second one is, things would be fine if only you would, dot, dot, dot. Things would be fine if only if you only would. If only you would, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And, it's, it's, and the third one is, why can't you? Mm. And the fourth one is, you never. <sighs> uh-huh. <laughs> right. When you get those and take them one at a time uh-huh. and, and use stickies so that you're just, just the phrase. When the phrase comes, just put it down, put it down, put it down for each one. Mm-hmm. Then go back and at the top put who said it. Mm. Then put the list of who said it. Mm-hmm. Next, under after who said it was, what's your reaction to it? Mm-hmm. What has been your response to this? Mm-hmm. Now, every single time a woman says small, guilty, um, terror, fear, you know, just mm-hmm. whatever your reaction has been, I make myself smaller. I, I don't try. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Next question: Is it true, or is it false? Mm-hmm. Next question is: What is the intention of the person who said it? This is really, really key. If you look at the intention, it's never. And for a, at first, a woman gets a little confused and says, "Well, they're just trying to help me." St- study more or pass exams or whatever. But when you look deeper, you realize what you feel is exactly what was intended. Because if someone comes along and says, you're wonderful, or how can I help you study? You don't feel small. Hmm. You feel encouraged. You, feel, you know by your reaction. Mm-hmm. Next category is what is the truth? Mm. That's where you state no, I did try. I've always tried. Mm-hmm. And then finally, your rebuttal. So you mm-hmm. have about, because what happens long after those people are gone, whether it's a teacher or mm-hmm. a parent who's long, long gone even, mm-hmm. that voice continues in your head and keeps telling you, right. and you believe it's the truth. Right. So when you believe it's the truth, you act out of that. So you st- the court starts rising, and then someone says, well, who do you think you are? <laughs> Car goes down again. But if you understand the intention behind that voice, and sometimes it comes from, you know, starts early with mother or father or uncle and then teacher and then husband and then, you know, on and on and on. You take each of them, they'll have different intentions. You look at what the truth is, what your response is. And when that thought comes, you have about 17 seconds to catch it throw it to the ground, stomp on it, and say, no, this is the truth. Be quiet. (laughs) You know, I have one of those. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. After a while, what happens? After a while, they dissipate. It's so quick if you do it really thoroughly. But, you know, and there's there's many, many other tools beyond that in terms of just really then looking at the false beliefs that we carry and so on and so forth. But that's a really good starting place for understanding 
what those voices in your head are telling you that you've believed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you forget where those voices came from, right? Because yeah, they can go absolutely. way, way, way back. Absolutely. What, what are you thinking, Monica, as you listen to this? Um, well, I mean, my my immediate thought is, like, I can understand how women would need this as, like, a help for them. But I'm kind of trying to imagine women who are examples of already having that. You know, I'm, like we talked about Michelle Obama's book last week, and I'm just trying to think of examples of women who are who are already that way. Oh, absolutely, and there that are amazing. I I just read her book. Oh, yeah, isn't that fantastic? Oh, <laughs> I loved her book. I was just it's a great so book. Taken. She's such a beautiful writer. She's so she's so transparent and right. so clear and so real. Oh, I was I was just every night I was it was a feast of <laughs> it, it, I felt like I was in conversation with her and yes. just the clarity of who she is and who she what she has attempted to become. So Monica, absolutely there are women who know who they are, who know their purpose and move. This is this is for those who don't, um, or yeah. for those who are trapped by the voices that they, they just, every time they start, you know, you can sort of tell a, a person by their inability to take a compliment, mm-hmm. by their inability to um, um, take what is theirs. It's that pullback of, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, I, I don't have enough. But, but Nancy, my, even in yeah. Michelle Obama's book, and here, here she is, this incredible woman, uh, and she tells, takes us on the journey. But even mm-hmm. along later stages in her life, where she is a Harvard Law School graduate, mm-hmm. and still mm-hmm. that nagging question, am I mm-hmm. enough? Am I ready? <laughs> am I good enough? And, and you know, I what know. is her message? Her message is, you are enough. Yes, it's beautiful. Well, she just needs to come work with me. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I think what? even Fortune magazine talks about, you know, women who look as if yeah. they have it all together mm-hmm. uh, are still uh, not immune from what I call a gender virus of that Absolutely. little voice inside. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of women nowadays are coming out and talking about their insecurities so that they can— cause it's, it's a common mm-hmm. thing that I've heard among women, um, you know, we've talked about on this show before, of, you know, a guy wakes up and thinks he's ready to do anything he wants to. That Run day. for president. Right. Yeah. I could be president. I was born to be president. Whereas a woman <laughs> wakes up and she overthinks everything before she can do something. And right. I think the act of a lot of women, especially women like Michelle Obama, coming out and saying, no, I have the same securities as, as everybody else. I just mm-hmm. had to, you know, overcome them in order to get what mm-hmm. I wanted to get done, done. And mm-hmm. I think talking about these things and not just presenting as this strong woman who can just slap down things that she doesn't like to hear and stomp on them. And it takes work hurt. to get there. Mm-hmm. It takes work to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely, Monica. And, and I also think, like, the fourth step in the work that I do is looking at all the characteristics of you. And it's, it's one of the most beautiful steps with women because never, ever, have I worked with a woman who's ever done this before that she looks at every attribute of herself and when you put that up it's it's 
dazzling. It's absolutely dazzling. And when a woman understands this is her, then she and she can own it, then it sort of it diffuses that. Am I really worthy? Am I am I pretending? Am I a fraud? Now, interestingly, when you even look at the question of being a fraud, when I ask women, "Are you a fraud as a as a friend?" Of course not. Are you a fraud as a daughter? Well, of course not. How about as a as a wife? No. How about so? Where is the only place that you feel a fraud? At mm. work. Mm. Right back full circle. Mm. It's back in those professional circles. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. and so I was um, playing a game the other day, hockey, and I was actually talking with one of my teammates, and we were talking about how anytime like you go out on the ice and skate, especially if you're skating with men, you're basically representing all of womankind in your own brain. Right. And that's a huge pressure that women put on themselves. <laughs> you know, guys don't wake up and go out in the world and think they're representing all of mankind. <laughs> That doesn't happen. But if a girl goes out on the ice and plays ice hockey, she feels like she is representing all of womankind. And it's these ridiculous, like, notions of pressure that we put on ourselves. You know, it takes us away from the experience of playing the game and enjoying ourselves. And I think... But I think that if men were in a situation with a whole lot of women, a competitive situation with a whole lot of women, they might start thinking... Maybe I represent mankind. I don't only if know, they're but they're yeah, but <laughs> only if they're losing. Only if they're losing. <laughs> if they're getting beat by women, they have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. If if they are the only guy out there, they think they rule the freaking world. Oh, I can do better than all these girls. I'm a man. Yeah. That's and yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what culture raises them with. Mm-hmm. Gives them yeah. this feeling of entitlement. Yeah. And at, yeah. At this point, it's innate. You know, and it's very difficult even to describe to like nice, kind, accepting men like Mm -hmm. this is the way things are for us. You know, when we're out there playing ice hockey, we feel like we're representing our entire gender. And if we fail, we failed our gender. And I think that's true, whether it's ice hockey or whether it's, you know, sports reporting Mm -hmm. or producing films. I mean, every Mm -hmm. every arena. Mm -hmm. Right. If you make a mistake as a woman, you are under a microscope. That's true. That's absolutely true. It's it's funny. I did a roundtable on fear of failure, and it was a mixed group, which I don't usually do, but it was big brothers and big sisters. And so I went around to the mentors and said, do you have fear of failure? They said, oh, yes, of course. You know, it's universal. And I said, okay, tell me some of your fears of failure. And the first guy who was a salesman said, well, I put in my 15 calls in the morning. If they don't call back, I... I have a fear that I, I failed. I said, well, is that really your failure or is that their failure to call back? Hmm. He said, well, it's theirs. I said, okay, so give me a, a time when you feel that you fear failure. They couldn't. Really? And they were, they were shocked when they heard the women's fear of failure. And these were highly successful, highly motivated women. Wow. Um, and they said, do all women have that? And the women said, yeah. I mean, we struggle with this, not at home, but we struggle with this at work. So again, that, that cultural bias and the, mm-hmm. exactly, Monica, what you're saying, the pressure put on us to be under that microscope is real, and men are not aware that that's even what we feel. I think these conversations 
um, that can happen between men and women when they understand that mm-hmm. can alleviate a lot of it. But this is back to your early question of, is there a change? And I think the change is that we are speaking up and we are talking about what we're feeling, what we're thinking, how we, how we act, the pressures that we feel. And that gives us a sense of, oh, I'm not the only person. It's not, it's not something wrong with me. All right, what is it? Identify it. How do we move the dial on this? Right. Well, you brought in the time we have left, uh, which is not enough. Uh, I, I, we brought up the topic of men, and let's talk about that a little bit. And, and you've begun it here in terms of not just talking maybe with one another, with other women, but also starting to share this experience of being a woman mm-hmm. with, with the men we trust. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts how on that? How are you that? doing? Well, how are you doing it? Well, I had an experience, um, you know, a couple of months ago at the height of the Me Too movement here in the United States, and I know it's the same in Canada, um, where it was, you know, headlines. I mean, day after day, it was a very hot topic mm-hmm. as more and more, um, you know, high-level, um, very famous personalities and, and men, you know, the stories were coming mm-hmm. out. And I have three brothers, and mm-hmm. it occurred to me that I thought, you know, in all this time when it's been such a big topic, not one of my brothers called me up and said, hey, Ann, have you ever had any of these experiences? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I wonder why. And mm-hmm. I finally um, asked my older brother, Dan, and when I asked him on the phone why he'd never asked me, there was this big silence, and he was clearly thinking, and finally he said, well, maybe I thought that you probably have had those experiences, but maybe you would rather not talk about it. And mm-hmm. that opened the door to a conversation It made me feel mm-hmm. as if, um, well, they're not necessarily going to ask. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it maybe it's up to us to say, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny. I was in a situation a couple of weeks ago with a man who related an incident that, um, if I related it, all of us would cringe at. And uh, one of my partners was there, and she said, oh, it was like watching a... It was like watching slow motion train wreck because he didn't know who you were. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he said something in front of the wrong woman, (laughs) right? Uh Wrong woman. Uh And and it was just that taking that opportunity to say, do you know this is never a joke? This is never funny. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why it's never funny. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many women I work with with whom I am the first person they've ever admitted that they were sexually abused as a child. Do you know how many women are raped? Do you know? You know, and I just went down the list mm-hmm. until he was like, oh, oh, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I think that all of us, I think that it's a two-sided thing. One is the, the standing up and speaking up um, in those situations, but not just for us as women, for men as well. And there's a lot of good guys out there. Right. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good guys, but they need to be the ones who stand up and speak up as well and say, it's not funny. Right. It's not okay. It, it, this has to change. Those guys have to stand up. And I'm seeing more and more of that, particularly Monica in your generation. Mm-hmm. Um, right. These, 
the young men are saying, it's not funny, it's not okay. The other side of that is that when we can make men aware of who we are and how, I mean, just on a, on a very baseline, uh, if, if you're looking at companies that have women owners and co-owners, tech companies, they're up to 63% more viable. So if you just look at it as uh, a monetary thing, why wouldn't you want what we bring as women? Mm -hmm. But that includes knowing who we are and how we are and how we are different and how that difference enhances it. We don't have to be the same. We aren't the same. Why would we want to be the same? So, so I think as as whatever way in there is to help men understand this, I think we need to take it. And I think the men who who understand this need to be emboldened by each other and by us to speak up. Right. You know, I heard a commentator say on the air not that long ago that in the context of this Me Too, uh, there are three kinds of men. They are They are clueless. They are creepy or they are classy. And so we need to obviously stay away mm-hmm. from the creeps and, uh, you know, embolden, you know, and wrap our arms around, yeah. you know, the classy ones and, and with, their, with them by our side. We need to help the mm-hmm. clueless men understand more about this. Yeah. Well, and thank you so much for being with us today, Nancy. And if you wouldn't mind telling um, our listeners, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, my website is thinkatewomen.com, and um, my email is nancy at thinkatewomen.ca. So easy. <laughs> pretty, pretty straightforward. Thank you so much. What a great conversation. We focus on power and leadership through a female lens. Would you leave our listeners with one last thought about how women find their power? I'd love to. Finding your power First of all, it's within you. It is being able to hold your position in space. It's being like a tree that is so deeply rooted that you have the flexibility to move, but you cannot be moved from who you are. And that is your power. That is your power. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, Nancy Trites-Botkin, author of Living on Purpose, Filmmaker, speaker, Nancy, you've been on the front lines of women's forward momentum for decades as a trailblazer, as a role model, and now as a teacher and a personal guide. Thank you so much. Thank you. And have a great week, everyone. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Monica Doyle. And let's Let's go go power power up. So thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and tell your friends about us. And we'd love to hear from you through my website, Ann Doyle Leadership, or our Powering Up Women Facebook page. And remember, power is the essential currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.